This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 4, Episode 12. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 12 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I am Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Good afternoon, Randy. Hello, Lynn. So today we're talking with Jennifer Abrams. Uh, Jennifer is an international educational and communications consultant who trains and coaches teachers, administrators, and others on successful instructional practices, new teacher support, supervision and evaluation, generational savvy, having hard conversations, and effective collaboration skills. So looking forward to talking with uh, Jennifer this morning on the multi-generational workplace. So welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Thank you. Glad to be here. So interesting title, The Multi-Generational Workplace. Let's dig into what, what were some of the big questions behind you writing this book? What were you, what were you hoping to accomplish? Well, my, uh, my time as a new teacher coach uh, and uh, educator in the Palo Alto Unified School District ended up providing me with a bunch of questions around watching newer teachers get inducted into the school system and their change in how they viewed school, how they viewed their career, how they viewed where they wanted to spend their time, how much they wanted to communicate face-to-face. And the challenges that we were facing with that um, sort of led me to take a look at the filter of perception around your age and your sociocultural kind of history. And and so what I was trying to do with Valerie Von Frank, my co-author in this book, was to show people that there might be some sticking points across the generations that they were finding in collaboration, PLCs, supervision, um, emails, and to try to say there is a way that we can know about this and avoid some of those challenges and be able to communicate more effectively. So you begin the text by talking about um, and defining the generations. Help us understand these distinctions. Okay, so it depends on if you have very, very veteran uh, people working in your school system, but you might have people that are veteran uh, traditionalists that are working in your school system. And I've got to look very quickly at my particular chapter summary here, because we have so many different ages, but traditionally 1922 to 1943, 
those folks would be in their 70s, still working in your school system. And they came during a time of less mobility, world wars, and they might really look at working on a team with somebody as challenging because of the way people communicate technology-wise and or their profanity and or their understanding of how long somebody should be in a certain location and role before they move on because they don't remember people moving on within two years. Then you've got the boomers from 1944 to 1964 who kind of remember Martin Luther King and and, uh, Kumbaya and Let's Make the World a Better Place and Peace Corps and Block Parties and Secret Santa. And we're going to be a team together. So we're going to work on the weekends and take one for the team. And they're sitting next to their more elder seasoned colleagues. um, And they're baking the cookie, as I laugh and say. And then comes in my generation. My generation is the Gen Xers born between 64 and 2000 who were born um, sort of uh, during the time, there are fewer of us, uh, the pill was introduced, uh, women's rights, um, abortion was legalized. And so there are fewer of us. And as I say, there are fewer, but we're more irritating. Um, this is a this is a group of people who started Teach for America, charter schools, uh, were entrepreneurs. This is where the technology came up. This is of blessed memory, Dave Goldberg and a survey monkey. So that you're not actually coming to consensus face to face, you're doing it online. Um, and then we've got the millennials who are our newest um, and they're 36, 37 years old down to our youngest faculty, a tremendously tech savvy group, really progressive, uh, can do things so quickly and are so digitally attuned that if you stick them, for imagine, into a team, you've got the 73-year-old meets the 50-year-old meets the 35-year-old meets the 22-year-old, you've got very different ideas. And so I wanted to show you that these generations are all in the same collaborative team. And that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. So why is it why is it important for us, particularly as school leaders, to consider this wide array of generations? What what if we choose not to? What happens? Well, I think that there has been. Um a number of people I've worked with who said it isn't an important. This is this is not the filter that I want to pay attention to. Um, we have other concerns, or everybody should just know how to be a professional. Why isn't everybody just in the workplace and get that? And I and I appreciate that. I just don't think that the concept of education is exactly the same over the last 50 years. I don't think that the idea of a professional is the same. And I don't get, I don't think the idea of communicating or learning is the same. So why do you need to pick it up? Because of every other thing you've been doing with your students. You've been trying to make sure that we're preparing the students. Well, we need to use that mindset of modifying and adapting for student success. We've got to modify and adapt for teachers to be able to work together as well. And I just, I have this, I I worked with people when this book came out who were like, well, thank God I'm retiring because I don't want to have to modify for these young people. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, if you take a look at the teacher shortage, which we are trying to work on in the U.S., Um, but we're not there yet. And we look at the challenges that we're facing in terms of getting people into graduate schools of education, 
We better, if we want to leave a legacy in our profession, pay attention to how we communicate across the generations so we can keep teachers in the schools. Not only keep teachers in the schools, but also help to better understand the needs of our learners. Um, absolutely. And oh, absolutely. Something yes. that we're really thinking about is learning from our learners and communicating with our learners. Yeah, if you if you are looking at what you want to do to make sure that our students, kindergarten through 12th grade, get what they need, uh, understand their uh, perspective, the question would uh, then sort of lead to what about what the teachers need. And then the next thing that I think we really have to be thinking of is if we're not bringing teachers in or we don't see where they want to go, will we have leaders? So I'm always asking people to raise their hand. Who wants to be the superintendent? And not everybody in the room wants to do that. And then they say, okay, let's actually challenge you. Who wants to work at the state level? How about the federal level? How about keeping our entire field moving across the nation? And people go, oh, I go, so anybody want to do that? That's a generational challenge. Yeah, interesting connection. So um, talk to us about the idea of being school savvy, having this school savvy, savvy etiquette um, probably yeah. builds on some of your ideas that you're already sharing. So my work with, um, with the newer teachers uh, led me to this. So I did 16 years as a, I did. That sounds so terrible. I <laughs> love, love new teachers. Um, I worked as a new teacher coach, I said, for 16 years. And there were many a time when I was hearing that they weren't playing well with others, or there wasn't a prof there wasn't a professionalism to them, or they had a problem with their dress code, or they were not being a certain way. And what I realized was that we had not even placed in the handbook a lot of what I called school savvy etiquette. Mm -hmm. The idea, and we've moved it to workplace. I could talk about this in hospitals as well. But the idea of email, okay, let's just start with email. How long between when somebody writes you and when you get back to them is an appropriate amount of time? Mm -hmm. uh, do you CC people? Do you BCC people? Do you post things on the internet? Do you write with all caps? Do you do a reply all? This is just like a little teeny part of school savvy. Do you always want to CC your principal when it comes to writing to who? Okay. Um, and they re I realized that they were making people mad <laughs> by by doing the wrong thing, but we never had a conversation about how to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, it went on to, it was just what, you know, should you be on Facebook with your students? It went on to what should you do in collaboration? It went on to what about, and this might be something both of you understand, taking a sick day. More sick days are being taken now than 20 years ago. And they're taken, I mean, remember the olden days when you had to have a compound fracture and pneumonia before anybody would, you know, go take a sick day. Now it's like, I think I need to take a mental health day. I think I need a me day. And people are not planning on vesting and staying for, you know, forever many years so you can bring them, you know, the year of, you know, sick days back to you. They're saying, I'm going to take 14 days. Yeah, I got 10 days. I'm going to take them every year because I have some destination weddings to go to, you know, and boom. And so it was this idea of what is the norm was not described. 
in in writing, it was very tacit. And so I wrote something called School Savvy Etiquette. Mm -hmm. So before we started our uh, podcast here, we had a little offline conversation with Jennifer about uh, some connections we were making uh, to this idea of communicating to collaborate, connections we were making to um, some work we've done with our profile of a graduate. And part of that is the components of what we call the four C's. And of course, communication and collaboration are part of that. So in your book, you do discuss this idea of communicating to collaborate. So tell us, what does that mean? Well, to me, we have words and styles, and this could be regional, this could be your personal upbringing, but words and styles of communicating that might come more easily to some than to others. So if you're a baby boomer, you were raised sort of in the activist team building, let's work together, come to consensus kind of uh, wording. Uh, it was, uh, if I can mock my area of the U.S., it was sort of the um, gestalt kind of, so what I hear you're thinking is, you know, kind of conversation. So there was a lot more of, I wonder, I'm curious. So that whole coaching stance, if you really look at who it came out of um, Rogers and all that, but when you think of Costa and Garmston and Knight, and it's it's a it's a whole shift of around principles of partnership, right? You know, and how do you communicate? If that's the way one group communicates, you might have another group that's saying, "I want to move along. I want to figure out how to make this efficient and pragmatic and get it done." And I might sound too blunt, and that collaborative dissonance uh, might not work. There's also the idea that we're working with millennials and millennials who have been on a team since they were out of utero um, and always been put into teams um, will imagine that they too have the equal say. So this is kind of interesting because they've always been in a team and they have the same job descriptions. So third grade teacher, third grade teacher, doesn't matter if you're 40 years in the business or one year in the business. And they might say, yeah, you know, I'd like to add an idea. And then you you know, and people are like, excuse me, you, know, I, you don't even have enough to say yet. You came five months ago. Okay. So do, oh, I can see Lynn understand. Okay. So if I look at this, it's like, how do these, how do you communicate so that you can actually collaborate? I mean, and so there's a, there's different wording that might trigger people. There's timing that might trigger people. So I'm trying to figure out how to get people to understand that people are coming at their collaborative role with different language mindsets and expectations. Thank you for laughing, though. I like that. Well, I think I'm, I'm connecting to that because it, it is you come with your own biases and you come with your own mindset and your past experiences and expectations that sometimes we feel like should be explicit and are more implicit. And Correct. there's cause for miscommunication. Correct. So interesting. Exactly. So um, in education, in this, we talked a little bit about the teacher shortage and you mentioned some people may not be want to want to be leaders at the admin level, superintendent level, state level. Um, why is it important for us to recruit and retain multi-generations in education? In the U.S., we've got a teacher shortage. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess it's changing, but I can tell you that somebody couldn't find 12 math teachers on the panhandle 
in the panhandle when I was there in Florida. They're paying 30,000 extra bucks to get somebody to work in uh, Hawaii. Um, we're not seeing the same numbers of people coming in. We, we need to brand ourselves differently. Um, I was looking at a couple schools, uh, graduate level schools um, in uh, Illinois, and they were not having the same number of people coming in. So if we're going to keep the public school, and I think of public schools uh, in terms of credentialing, uh, level of float, because that's really what our country is based on, we've got to figure out how to make uh, education and the purpose of, of teaching children, um, you know, and making that make, make it meaningful to people. So when I think about recruiting, what does it look like to compete as a millennial to a millennial? Now, I can tell you Teach for America is doing fine. They've got enough people that want to get in it. But what do we as as public schools need to do too, and this makes everybody just cringe, brand ourselves into a place that has purpose, that has meaning. How do you recruit uh, across races and classes? How do you make this, this profession worthy when they're competing against, the, I mean, their colleagues are going to Google where you can have a nap room, you can play volleyball, you can, and I can tell you that nursing is also really under the gun in terms of that. So then the question is, how do you recruit? And so I'm writing an article, hopefully it'll get published, about how do you onboard, not just recruit, but then onboard, orient, coach, to keep people and then retain them. And then the question is, what will we need to do in those first three or four years, not just teaching people how to teach, but remember, we have really told many, many young people they can be anything they want to be. And they're going to expect um, some an, an additional number of opportunities in their first couple years that we might have said, oh, wait a minute, just learn how to teach. Just get your feet in the ground in a classroom. And they're going to say, but I'm seeing my friend move on after six months, or I'm seeing somebody have this opportunity. So we need a whole level of um, kind of growth opportunities for people within the first five years that I think might keep them in so that we can grow them past that attrition uh, hump of five years. And so I'm thinking about a few things, mm -hmm. but I'm sure there are so many that are also. Mm -hmm. So that idea of growing our staff uh, is something I think yes. every school should focus on and many are. So how does this idea of um, the generational differences play into professional learning and how do we support the growth of those teachers? I I always laugh because I've been invited to not just podcasts, which have completely blossomed, right, in the last couple of years, but to Twitter chats. Mm -hmm. And then I was on a Twitter chat where I love my millennial extra people. We don't even want to be on Twitter for more than 30 minutes. That's their PD. I'm like, four questions, two answers, 30 minutes. Yeah, I'm growing. And I kind of laugh. <laughs> that's not... That's not, that's not learning to me. I think that's absolutely, I don't know what that is, but it's a nice, it's not even, I suppose, a cocktail. I mean, it makes me giggle. So when I look at what we're going to need to do, 
we're going to need to help people recognize that deep reflection and face-to-face contact or some, you know, is going to be worth their time, number one. And we're going to have to invest in um, more on more blended stuff so that people feel like it's both, I think, because they're saying, I don't know, being face-to-face, I don't know, that's always worth my, my while. It's also financially very challenging for people to bring people together. But I start thinking of what can be done online, what can be done you know, sort of flip learning, what can be done face to face, because I think we're going to have to do some blending. Mm -hmm. But I know, and just to finish this off, you can get most of your CPR, okay, your CPR kind of certification by doing it on a computer. Okay, if that's, that's not to me, that's scary. You want me to do that as a, as a surgeon? You know what I mean? Like, so we've got to blend the PD to the activities that we want people to be doing. And so it, we're not, you know, the idea that you're going to push the, the thumb and make, and make, you know, CPR happen. And then I'm, I'm certified makes me incredibly nervous. So we gotta, we gotta invest in, a, in, in, in more PD that's not just online. So they do have to take a test with a certified CPR. At the very end. At the very end. At the do. very end. Yes. Right. right. But let's. But do you love that though? That it's like all the way. You know, it's like doing your driving. You know, you gotta tickets, read the book and then do the test, and then you actually do have to go in. And I'm like, really? Do I go in? You know, it's like you got to realize it's got to be aligned. So I'm totally help happy that that we do have to be with what is it? Um, Annie. Was it the the little dummy that yeah. we have to? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm good with that. But it just makes me nervous. What can't be online? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting perspective. So <laughs> what, what are you working on next? Uh, what are you working on now? You mentioned a couple of things, but. Um... Well, I'm working on a next book. Um, and it's, I think, going to be titled Swimming in the Deep End. Um, Leadership Skills for Aspiring and Emerging Leaders. I'm really interested in people that are teacher leaders or new administrators and what are the skill sets that people need to have in order to be effective. And I'm coming at it from three angles, uh, building up a cognitive uh, skill capacity around decision-making, looking at your um, social skills around dealing with resistant people, and then dealing with, because your decision may not Mm -hmm. be thrilled. Thrilling mm-hmm, to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then how do you manage yourself psychologically hmm. in dealing with resistance and um, how can you stay more optimistic? Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, cause it can go on and on sure. after the, we'll see, it could be a trilogy. That, but, sounds, um, that sounds fascinating. Thinking about, um, I had a, a course on ethical decision-making in my superintendent's yeah. letter and while I didn't necessarily like the course at the time, it's something, it provided me with a framework for decision-making, all the way following up with who you're going to harm or benefit at the end of making the decision and how you deal with sort of the repercussions. And I also connected to the idea of uh, difficult conversations and having having read that book pretty early on my, um, at that time, quasi-administrative career. And uh, certainly two big pieces that we need as leaders. You got it. I agree. 
So thanks so much for joining us today, Jennifer. Um, for our listeners to learn more about Jennifer's work, you can check out the show notes, link to her book, The Multi-Generational Workplace. Also some um, additional resources there about Jennifer and Jen Jennifer's work. All right. Thanks for uh, chatting with us this afternoon, Jennifer. Thank you. And thank you for laughing. I'm glad that it's resonating in a good or bad way. But yes. Good. All right. <laughs> Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. And this episode's question, how will you consider multi-generational differences in your school system? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or access the resources mentioned, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode 12. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with a new episode featuring another conversation with an innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Jennifer. Thanks, Jennifer. Bye-bye. Bye. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.